Welcome to the Wednesday Bible Study from the Rick and Bubba Broadcast Plaza and Teleport. Thank you for joining us. Obviously, men, thank you for joining us here in the room. Uh, for those of you that are watching on Facebook Live, thank you for joining us. Uh, if you're watching an archive on the Rick and Bubba YouTube channel or listening uh, to our podcast archive, thank you for being with us uh, today. And, and certainly, Merry Christmas. This is the last Bible study we'll do in 2019, so we I won't see you till after Christmas and after the New Year. So Merry Christmas to everybody in the room and everybody watching and listening, and uh, we had a, we've had a great year in here again. There's been a tremendous amount of growth, and had some great meetings with everybody. I I, I didn't want to bring this up, but you know, uh, um, Harry, uh, who's who's here uh, just about every Wednesday, brought me a gift of appreciation. Now, those of you that haven't, uh, I don't want you to feel bad about this. It, you know, <laughs> this is uh, something that uh, Harry felt led to do, uh, and uh, and I'm sure God has told you to do otherwise. But thank you. <laughs> Uh, Harry for that and Don thank you for the gift you uh, made for my wife those of you who haven't done anything for my wife don't feel bad about that um, Don just did what he felt led to do so so anyway um, no thanks to all of you you guys have been so supportive again your prayers um, uh, are felt and uh, your devotion to being here is always uh, extremely moving and uh, I thank you and I look forward to what is coming up we come back next year obviously we'll continue to do this uh, uh, most every Wednesday here uh, we'll also uh, be launching a national campaign for those of you that may be paying attention to what's going on here. You're wanting to implement, you know, either a men's ministry into your church or maybe you want to do a men's group in your community, uh, but you're just not sure how to do it uh, or are you looking for a way to be equipped to do it. We'll be providing that service for you and making that available for you in 2020 uh, and uh, probably be talking about it first of February. Uh, so be praying about that. We're in the final stages of, of wrapping all that up as well. And we're super excited about announcing that uh, in 2020. There will not be a Bible study next Wednesday because that's that's Christmas. Uh, there won't be uh, the Wednesday after that because that's New Year's Day. So after today, the next uh, Bible study for us, as far as a new Bible study, will be January the 8th. Now, these are great opportunities if you get some time off be traveling around uh, to go back and listen to maybe some Bible studies you missed and, and want to catch up, you can find those on the Rick and Bubba podcast channel, the Rick and Bubba YouTube channel, and you can certainly find audio only uh, at BurgessMinistries.com by just clicking on listen. So let's open up in a word of prayer and let's jump right in as we continue our journey through the Gospel of John. Uh, Lord, thank you for today. So many uh, things, uh, Lord, that have been laid at your feet, so many prayer requests even across this room as we, as we sit here right now. Uh, I pray that you'll uh, take away the distractions of life and this fallen creation and the struggles of, of, um, uh, of obstacles that are always in front of us. As you said clearly in the Gospel of John, uh, that we always should remain at peace because in this world we will face tribulation. Not that we might, but we will. Uh, and you said, but when we face tribulation, those of us that belong to you should always have joy in our heart because whatever we're facing, you have overcome it. As you said, you've overcome the world. And we thank you for that, Jesus. Uh, and we thank you, Lord, at, at this time of Advent, as we begin to remember uh, that you came to us and we could not come to you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, so we're moving into uh, to chapter 9 in the Gospel of John. Uh, and uh, you see that it starts out really uh, in verse 1 with not a, really a general statement. It doesn't give us a lot of details. It just says, talking about Jesus, as he passed by... Uh, he saw a man blind from birth. So, first of all, we don't we don't really know where he 
has been or where he's going. Uh, um, John is very vague here. Uh, he might be between traveling between the Feast of the Tabernacles that we have talked about uh, and moving uh, to the Feast of Dedication. We don't really know. Uh, but we do know this. We know that, uh, that a man is mentioned now. And, and throughout Scripture, you see Jesus, and this is one of the signs, if you remember, that he told the followers of John the Baptist to go back and tell uh, John, when he was in jail, when Herod was about to kill him, one of the things that would confirm that when he said, Behold, the Lamb of God is here to take away the sins of the world. And we've told you throughout the Gospel of John that John doesn't use the word miracle a lot. He always talks about signs. And one of the signs uh, of Messiah was that he would heal the blind. The blind would see. Now, that's much bigger than physically seeing. We know that. But, but it's certainly physically seeing is revealing what Jesus is, is ultimately going to do. And he's going to heal the, any, anyone who receives redemption through him. He's going to um, heal us from what? Being spiritually blind from birth. Because not only, you know, every, you may not be physically blind from birth, but everybody in this room, everybody watching and listening, you were spiritually blind uh, when you came into this world. And so this is certainly symbolism for that. And John's mentioning that. And Jesus is, is picking out this person, which he'll tell us why here in a minute, that was blind from birth. How Jesus knows he's blind from birth? Supernatural. Uh, I don't know whether they picked up some information. Uh, there's no indication why he knows this, but he does. And, and certainly the disciples know this too. Uh, but but the, the big thing is that John's starting this chapter. He's talking about something much bigger than there's a blind man who's physically blind. This is certainly symbolic that we all are spiritually blind. And here comes Jesus uh, to enable us to see again as we remember in the great hymn of Amazing Grace. So the second verse, it says, And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned that this man uh, or his parents, who has sinned? Is it this man or his parents that has made him blind? So this is something that they knew uh, from what they knew about God. Now, if, if, through what they'd been taught, uh, they'd always they've always been been taught some of it correctly that there's a there's there's a there's there's a connection between sin and and bad things. There's there's a connection there. Now, certainly in general, they're they're not incorrect. Uh, you know, as we've said throughout studying this, it is true that there are earthly repercussions for sin. And the fact that, the, you know, that the, the Garden of Eden, when, when, when Adam and Eve rejected God and they were deceived by, by Satan and sin entered the world, it changed everything. Remember what Jesus said about Satan? He's been murdering from the beginning. So we know that once sin entered, the way things were supposed to be was dramatically changed. So they're correct in general saying that it's due to sin that this guy's blind. But where they're incorrect is there is no connection between individual sin and individual blindness. That, that part they don't have right. Now, they've got it in general right, but in their minds, they're thinking, well, this guy's blind because of something he did or something that his parents did. Now, we do know that Jesus said back when he healed the, the man you know, by the pool that Jesus did say to him, now, you need to go and change the way you're living before something worse happens to you. So in that particular case, this man's situation may have been tied directly to something that he did uh, that, was, that was individual, that was tied to his paralysis. But in, in general, you have to understand where they, what they had wrong, and Jesus is going to clarify this. There is no connection on earth to say, well, because this is some of that false theologies out there with false teachers and false prophets. You know, if Benny, who was on the front row, if Benny 
does he must have done something bad, and that's the reason why he's had a rough time. And and I'm over here living a life that is so perfect. That's the reason why nothing bad's happened to me yet. The only way something bad happens to you is if you do something wrong, and then God punishes you for what you did. Now that that's incorrect, and that's the reason why you got to watch these false teachers and these false prophets. Because if you're listening, and I've and I've I've taken them on face to face many times. If you listen to their theology that seems to suggest that now that we've been redeemed, now that Jesus has come and defeated our sin debt and has defeated eternal death, that now Jesus somehow has set up some sort of abundant life here on earth, not the abundant life that we have because we've been redeemed, but a physical abundant life on earth. And if we'll do everything right and watch it, if we'll name it and claim it and kind of tell God what to do and what not to do, that if we'll live a certain way and do certain things, he'll bless us. And if we don't, he won't. That is not scripture. Matter of fact, Jesus is taking this theology and really destroys it. He destroys it many times. What I just prayed about when he said, in this world, you will face tribulation. We also know if you go to church where I go to church, but if not, you've, you've, you've read Paul in 2 Corinthians when Paul is saying, let me tell you all the horrible things that have happened to me. And man, he goes on a list that is unbelievable. So if you believe some of this false theology and some of the stuff that the disciples are, are having to be taught right here, you have to believe that there's something that Paul wasn't doing in order for God to keep him from having all these horrible things happen to him. When Paul ended his life, it was apparent to me that once he had been redeemed by Jesus, he certainly wasn't perfect, but that he lived his life devoted, saying that this, this grace in, in, uh, in 1 Corinthians uh, uh, verse, uh, chapter 10, he's saying that your grace is not going to be wasted on me. It'll never be in vain. So he lived his life. At the end, I fought the fight. I have, I have run the race. I have finished. I'm going to receive the crown of righteousness. But yet you look at Paul's life, who gets that kind of finish and is going to receive that kind of reward in heaven, and his life was filled with calamity. So, you know, it, did it have anything to do with something he wasn't doing right? No, it, it had to do with the fact that he was in the fallen creation. And God, as he said, he really clarifies it when he talks about the thorn in his flesh. He said, I'll tell you why God doesn't take these things away from me, because it keeps me humble. It, it, it keeps me broken down. So I'm always depending on him, because without him, if, if I'm not suffering, I kind of get to the point where I think I must be doing okay. I don't really need God. So this, is t this has been taken on by Jesus, and Jesus never checks up on this. And I want you to listen to this. In, in verse 3, so Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents. Hey, Jesus, is this guy blind because he, he, he did something wrong? Or are his parents, is this some generational sin, which they knew God had talked about that too? So what did his parents do or what did he do that he's sitting here blind and he's been blind from birth? What punishment have you handed down on this family? And then Jesus turns around and said, that's not why he's blind. All right, so has everybody got that clear? Can that be any more clear? That Jesus was asked if this guy was blind because of something he did or something his parents did, and Jesus said, no, that's not why he's blind. Everybody got it? That's pretty straightforward. And, 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 and Jesus said that, okay? So he says, let me tell you why he's blind, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. That's why. Hey, Jesus, why is this guy blind from birth? So I can be glorified. So that's it. Absolutely. See, then, then you start kind of understanding what Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 1. Write this down. Verse 6 and 7. Every time I sit down and talk to people about something they're going through that is tragic, I bring this out first, if, if they're a believer. 
And, and here's Peter that says really, really a bunch of odd stuff because he says in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, and here come the two big words, if necessary. Don't miss that. Now for a little while, I mean, it's not always going to be like this. If necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. So Peter says in this you rejoice, though now. For a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials to test the genuineness of your faith. God doesn't tempt us, but he does test us. He does grow us. He does strengthen us through suffering. Sometimes through blessings, sometimes through encouragement, sometimes through suffering. So, and then he says, that if you, that gold doesn't pass the test. You put it in fire and, and, it, and it melts. But that your faith may actually pass the test and result at the glory of the revelation of Jesus Christ. Sounds very familiar to what Jesus just said about this guy. So remember, if you can ever get to the point in your life, and it will require growth, it will require you seeking Jesus Christ and understanding him and loving him so much, he doesn't hide from anybody that seeks him. You come to me or I come to you. If you seek me, you'll find me. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your heart, with all your mind. Jesus adds that in the New Testament. So he doesn't hide from us. And if you can get to that place, I'm not saying it's, difficult, it's not difficult. I'm not saying it's not hard. But when you find yourself in the fire, these verses begin to come into your mind. And you know what you'll do? Supernaturally. Instead of crying about it, Instead of complaining about it, instead of being bitter about it, you know what you'll do? What are you trying to teach me? What am I learning right now? Lord, what are you trying to show me? Show it to me. Hey, you have my attention. So in this particular case, he's telling us that God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit, they caused this man to be born blind so he could be in this place right now for when God came to earth and began to walk as 100% God and 100% man and he needed to glorify his father and show everybody that he does make the blind see you're here to be used by Jesus, period. Why am I blind? To be used. But we also know he didn't heal everybody that was blind. You know, and I know this is heavy, but I, I'm telling you the thing that my wife and I, and some people don't want to hear this, learn through the, some of the sufferings that we have been allowed to go through by God. And it is allowed by God because he certainly could stop it. And that is, as of right now, I look at my family and I don't know how much longer this will go. But there are there are members of my family that were that were made and they were called to 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 continue to live. And then there's a little boy that came here to die. You know, his life's not incomplete. So right now, mine's 55. His was two and a half. I don't know how much longer mine's going to go. I'll tell you one thing God does. God knows. And the choices I make are not how, much, how longer I'm going to live. The choices I'm making is how impactful is this life going to be. You know, am I going to abuse myself where I can't be effective for the kingdom? Those are choices I make. Now, when I'm going to die, I ain't got any say in that. And if I, and if I decide to have a say in it, then that's sin. But, so this guy on this particular day is there so that, that, that God might be displayed in Jesus. Now look at four. Now we're going to get a little deeper. 
as if we're not there already. And four and five, we must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Okay. So Jesus is saying pretty clear, hey, we got work to do. Now, there's a lot of ways to look at this, and there's a number of commentaries out there. But, but I think we can land and we can get in general what Jesus is saying here. One's pretty obvious. While I'm here on my earthly ministry, I got three years and we got a lot to do. So while I'm here, I'm the light of the world. We're going to work. Now, there's going to come a day when night's going to come. That's when you're going to see me crucified. And then you're going to be in darkness. You're going to not know where to go. And then I'm going to rise from the dead. I'm going to train you for 40 more days. And then I'm going to go to the Father. So we got a lot to do. You know what else this symbolizes? The church age. The church age. He, Jesus is about to start the age of his church. And you know, I don't know if you ever, uh, I forget, I never can remember who wrote this book. The one thing you can't do in heaven. What Jesus is also saying is, while you're here on earth, and before you die your earthly death or I come back, you're supposed to be at work. Advancing the kingdom, evangelizing the world, making disciples, teaching them all that I've commanded you, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. You advance my kingdom, but when I come back or you die, that's over. You don't get to do that anymore. You know what he's saying? Make it count. Make it count. And, 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 this, and this to me is one thing. It's kind of like when Jesus has been taken. He's going to take on the Sabbath again, by the way. Jesus is just loving doing things on the Sabbath to upset people. And he's going to do it again today. What Jesus is saying, and I know some people won't agree with this, but that's fine. You'll have to take that up with God. God went to rest and then sin came and God had to get back up to redeem us. And he's going to keep working until the church age is over. You see Jesus saying, let me tell you what, what I do on the Sabbath, and I don't even apologize for it. And we know Jesus is sinless, right? So he's not sinning by doing it. He said, I'm going to continue to heal people, and I'm going to continue to do the work of my Father. I don't care what day of the week it is. Because we're in the work stage. We're, we're, we're working. You know, this is one of these things I, I'm, that I want to tell some of you that are a little older, those of us in the second half of our life. Hey, welcome to the second half. And we did a whole Bible study on how few men finish well. The, the word retirement is not a biblical concept. That is not a biblical concept. You may be retired from your vocation, but you're never retired as a man of God. Let me tell you what the Bible does not say for us to kick it out of gear and lay around until we're dead. And go around pleasing ourselves and giving ourselves a life of pleasure as we're waiting on ourselves to die or for Jesus to come back. Retirement is not a biblical concept. That's an earthly concept. And you certainly can retire from your vocation or you can go to a different vocation, but your work for the kingdom has no retirement plan other than what? Eternity. And we're still going to work in heaven. We're still going to work in heaven. So Jesus clarifies this. We got work to do. Look at verse 6. Having said these things, he spat on the ground and made mud with, his, with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud. Now, if you want to spend the rest of your vacation, if you got one coming up, just start reading commentary on why Jesus spit in the mud and have a great time with that. Uh, it... Uh, there, you know, the Bible doesn't really tell us much than, other than well, this is what he did. 
And, and John did not expand on that a lot. Uh, but but here, here's, here's the cool point. Is there was a lot of things, you know, he loved to take on the Pharisees and the Sanhedrin and the Sadducees on things that they were obsessed with. And one of them is they, they, when it came to saliva, they, they thought saliva was unclean. And so here's, here's Jesus. If you go back, as a matter of fact, if you look over, if you have your Bible, let's, let's, let's go back over to Mark uh, in 7 and 8. Here, here's Mark in, in, and let's go 8 first because it's another blind man um, at Bethsaida. Listen to this. And some people brought to him a blind man and, and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked, do you see anything? And this is the guy who at first it was kind of blurry. Now, I, we know this is a big message about, you know, us, when we can really see clearly. Does anybody believe Jesus can't, can't make a man see clearly the first time? But this is the one where he gives it two shots uh, to, to clear what he's doing. But again, there he is spitting in, on his eyes. Now look at, at eight, Mark 8. Uh, when you have uh, the, the deaf person that is, um, I'm sorry, seven, when you have the deaf person that was healed. Uh, oh, now I've jumped back over into, excuse me. Uh, Mark 7 heals the deaf man. Look at here in verse 31. Then he returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee. And look at 33. And they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech in, in, in impediment like me. And they begged him to lay his hands on him. And taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers in his ears. And after spitting, touched his tongue. And then he, he said, uh, be opened. In English, that's what he said. And the ears were opened and the tongue was released. And he spoke plainly. So you see that Jesus has been using saliva more than just this time. But this time he goes down with his saliva and he gets dirt and he makes mud. Now, has anybody seen any symbolism here that's pretty clear in my opinion? Genesis 2. How did God make man? Out of the dirt. And so he's picks, he picks up the dirt and, and he forms us and he breathes life into us. And remember, here it is. So, so now that life is going to, the rebirth is about to be breathed into us again through Jesus. This is Jesus using symbolism of the dirt and the spit and making mud and, and causing the blind to see, bringing life. He has life. Do you see that? So that's one thing you can look at. But there's a lot of commentary about it. And here's the bottom line. Let's not get so caught up on why Jesus is spitting in the mud and the fact that he can make a blind guy see. That's kind of a, a, a bigger a deal. So one of the things, if you look, I think that is also part of this is the symbolism here about him saying, the last thing he just said in five, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And now he turns around, spits in the mud and says, I'm not going to take darkness, blindness, and I'm going to bring light to the blind. And he's always, he's always just confirming over and over again who he is. I'm, I'm, I'm going to bring light to this blind man. So then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, go to Siloam. That's the pool of Siloam, which means sent. That's interesting. Uh, so he went and washed and came back and he can see. So there's all kinds of symbolism here. First of all, the name of the pool that where he's sending them, the pool means sent. So now, and, I, and there's one point coming right here that we're just, we may just have to do a hallelujah on. So, so he takes him, he says, I put the mud on your eyes. I've given you the saliva. I can bring light to darkness. I can bring light to the blind. Now you go to the pool of Siloam and you wash yourself and then you'll be able to see. And he did. Now, this, this was an actual pool. It was southwest of the city of David. 
Uh, it received its water through a channel which, uh, w- which carried or, or sent it from the spring of uh, Gahan into the Kim, uh, Kindred Valley. Uh, this is water that, was, that they also used. Don't miss this. Remember we were talking about the Feast of the Tabernacles? You remember the water pouring right? This is where that water came from. And it was drawn from the pool of Siloam. So this is what I want to talk about, about obedience. This, this is important. So the man was obedient, but that's not what ultimately healed him. He was not healed by being sent, but he was actually healed by the one who was sent. And so when the one who was sent told him to go and sent him, he went, and ultimately all that worked together for healing. Now think about that. Think about our lives now. Remember we said before, we are, fa- we are saved by grace through faith. By grace through faith. But what have we learned in here for the last four years? That's a faith. That faith is a faith of action. We, we, we actually respond. What, what are the examples we said? Abraham, Abraham did not have uh, you know, faith that would, that would bring him salvation if he just heard God say go and say, I believe you want me to go. Did that faith save him? save him? No. The faith that saved him was that he went. Noah building the ark. The faith of, I believe you're going to destroy the earth, and I believe you're telling me to build an ark, but if you don't build it, then that's not saving faith. Saving faith is when you actually built it. Obedience does not earn us salvation, but obedience is the result of truly being saved. If you love me, you obey me. We talk about this over and over again. So it wasn't the act of going to the pool that brought his sight back. Jesus brought his sight back. But Jesus brought his sight back and then told him to go to the pool. And if you go to the pool and come back to me, that'll finish it. So was it important that he do what Jesus told him to do? Apparently, yes. It sounds like that Jesus is saying, if you don't go to the pool and wash this mud off your eyes, will he still be able to see? Did Jesus need to send him to the pool? No. Did Jesus need to spit in the dirt? No. Could Jesus just said, you're not blind anymore? Yes, but he didn't. Sometimes he does that, sometimes he doesn't. See, if he's taking the time to do this, he's teaching us more than he can just heal a blind man. He healed healed more than one blind person. But every time he's teaching something different, because if all he needed to do was show us that he could heal the blind, then he could have just done it once. And just said, look, here's a blind person, I can heal him, you're healed. But all of them have these different dynamics, and this one is teaching us obedience. And, and you've got to be real careful right now, especially if you're mentoring or raising, because we're in a time right now where there's an abuse of grace that is at an all-time high. And you, you've got a lot of people that are, and, and we certainly are, saved by grace through faith, but there's, <laughs> uh, there's a big teaching going on right now as if obedience is not even to be mentioned. And, and it's, it, you know, how about this? Jesus Christ radically changes people's lives, and they don't do the things they've always used, always used to do. They just don't. Not if you've ever really encountered him. Rick, why don't you do some of the things you used to do? I don't know. We're about to get to this in a minute. I just know that that, that desire is gone. And I know that when it started out, though, that Jesus had to tell me to begrudgingly do some certain things that I didn't want to do. But the more I started experiencing his obedience, I realized that, you know what? Being under his authority, all it does, it's just like a fire. You know how we said before, everything's habitual to human beings. Bad things, yes, but so are good things. 
right? That's, that's the reason why it's important for us to be in the Word of God. It's important for us to be praying. Do these things save us? No. Do these things help us to grow spiritually? Yes. When we grow spiritually, do we find ourselves uh, having more impact for the kingdom and being less, less uh, taken down by the flesh every day? Yes. Because of us? No. Because of Him? Yes. More of Him. It's like, it's like you know, pulling up to a gas tank and saying, you know, I, I want my tank to be full. Well, you better get out and, and, and put the nozzle in and squeeze or you're not going to get any. You can't just pull up next to the pump and sit there. It won't fill it up. And so these are the kind of things we're talking about. So look at verse eight and nine. Now we're getting ready for the what just happened. So the neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar, talking about the blind man, were saying, is this not the man who used to sit and beg? And look at nine. Some said it is he. Others said, no, but, but, but he looks like him. And then he kept clarifying what and saying, I am the man. I think this is funny. This just shows human beings. Hey, is that not the cat that, that, that's been blind from birth sitting out there begging for us? Somebody first said, I'm telling you, that's him. But then what, 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 what dawns on him? He's walking around and can see now. That can't be him. So then someone wants an explanation. It just looks like him. It just looks like him. Can I ask you a, a tough question? And some of you got much better testimonies than me. You don't, you, you don't have near the darkness in your life that I once had. And, I, and, and I'm thankful for that. I hope you never do. But let me tell you this. It doesn't matter. All of you are sinners. All of us are sinners to some degree. So when you experienced Jesus Christ and people saw you walking around, was there a notion that somebody said, man, that can't be him? That can't be Rick. Somebody says, it looks like Rick. Yeah, but it don't act like Rick. That can't be him. So, so, so radical a change that someone might look and say, look, I, I, I think I went to school with Rick. It looks a lot like Rick, but it can't be Rick. If it's Rick, it's a miracle. Is that the way everybody sees your life? Or would somebody say, I've known him all my life and that's 100% him and ain't nothing happened to him. You know, ladies watching, ain't nothing happened to her. She's still the same person she's always been. Well, see, if that's happened, then nothing supernatural has really ever happened. Right? I mean, this guy couldn't make himself see, could he? Well, I mean, people looked at him and said, I'm telling you, this guy sees now. This cannot be him. Look at, look at, and then he declares, it is me. I am the man. And this guy, I like this guy. He's got a lot more savviness than that guy, the paralytic that was by the pool. That guy was a little bit of a doofus. This guy, this guy is savvy. You, you, you'll see, you'll love this guy. So they said to him, then how were your eyes open? And he answered, the man called Jesus, made mud, anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and I received my sight. They said to him, who is he? He said, I don't know. So this guy is, I like this guy because he's a guy who cuts, he didn't, he didn't chase a bunch of rabbits. He, he took us through the steps, didn't he? Here's what he did. He came up and he said, do that. He did this, 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 this. Now I see. Who is this guy? I don't know. But, but people want to know who did this. And then we get to 13. You know who's going to, what's going to happen now. So these people, and this is, you have to understand the culture of the day. These people now realize, hey, we're talking miraculous here. We're talking miraculous, so what, this is, I don't even, there's no indication in any of the history of this that they're going to get the Pharisees because they, they want somebody to be in trouble. That, that's not really their motivation here. 
What they're really saying is it was very common for the religious leaders to be accessible around the community. And if somebody saw something miraculous, somebody would say, let's go get the religious leaders and let's, get their, let's see what they think about it. There really wasn't any malice intended. There's no indication of that. They just really wanted to hear them weigh in on it. So they go get the Pharisees. And the reason why the, 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 the commentators and the historians don't believe there was any malice, if they wanted malice, they would have probably gone get the, and went and got the Sanhedrin. That those were the ones that would hand down judgment and people be in trouble. They just went to the, you know, like you go to your pastor and say, hey, go get the pastors out here that are around here that, that teach us and let's find out what's going on here. So uh, they, they just wanted a religious opinion on this. So, so, here's, so here comes 13. They brought, they brought to, to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Here we go, 14 again. Jesus does it again. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, he's got to be start getting annoyed with this now. He put mud on my eyes and I washed and I see. Okay? And, and so then, in, it, it, interesting, if you look in verse 16, some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. Hmm. But others said, How can a man who, who is a sinner do such signs? Hmm. And then there was division among them. So first of all, they say, hey, they, they throw the Sabbath out there. John wants us to know that's happened again in 14. In 15, they're not even focused on, on Jesus yet because they know who this is. Because what? You know what they would say? Hey, we've been here. So then they want to know, how did he do it? Tell me exactly how it was done. Because they're, what they're hoping is to find something in here that doesn't add up. So they focus on how it was done. Well, then the authorities are divided just like the people in chapter 7. This is a little different in 9 verses 7. If you remember in 7, these were just people that became divided on if Jesus really is who he says he is and all this and is this and this. This time it is the Pharisees. And now they sound just like the people. So this is classic Jesus. Not only does he divide up just the normal people, he always divides up the religious leaders. They're divided too. They can't decide whether he's the real deal or not. So some of them bring up the Sabbath. Others can't get past the miracle itself, which I think that would probably be, I hope how I would react. And then they're saying a public sinner cannot be used by God. We're in a dilemma here. If this guy is a sinner and y'all say he's breaking the Sabbath, then how, how would God take a sinner and do what's been done? So we got to figure out how this, how this happened. We're in a dilemma. And look at 17. So then in 17, so they said again to the blind man, what do you say about him since he's opened your eyes? And then he said, showing he doesn't know that much, you know, about the, uh, the Messiah or the coming Messiah. All he said is he throws out a guess. Maybe he's a prophet. Maybe he's a prophet. 18. I mean, this guy doesn't really know. Unlike the man in chapter 5. This guy seems willing to side with Jesus. It, it, you know, it's not a theological giant step to call him a prophet, but it is a step in the right direction, unlike the guy who was healed by the pool. He's starting to see a little bit clearer, but the Pharisees' vision is becoming more clouded because they actually think they know more than this guy. He's willing to even entertain prophet, 
They're not willing to entertain that. So it's almost like he's been physically blind and now he sees and he's starting to see clearer and they are theologically blind by all their th theological mist. And as he begins to see Jesus clearer, they seem to be seeing Jesus even more cloudy. Isn't that interesting? The dichotomy there. And so and we'll get down to some pretty straightforward, simple theology coming up. In verse 18, the Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had recovered his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received the sight. And they asked them, is this your son who you say was born blind? And how then does he see now? His parents answered, we know this is our son and that he was blind. But how he now sees, we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. And then I like this, thanks mom and dad, when they basically say, don't, don't, we don't want to be in trouble. I don't know how this happened. I'll confirm to you two things. Yes, it's our son. Yes, he was born blind. But now you start getting into how he sees, because what? They don't want to be on the wrong side of the Pharisees. Because it was real clear in the synagogues right now, if you're over here in the Jesus camp, you're going to be kicked out of the synagogue, or, or worse. And so they're really saying, now picture this, if it was your kid, if you like me, I have adult children, it's like they come to you and say, hey, tell me about what your boy did. Look, I, my boy's in Virginia. This is my son. Uh, I can acknowledge that. I can acknowledge that, uh, you know, he had a limp when he was born. But now, as far as what he did in Virginia and some guy makes him walk, I don't want any part of that. I don't know. You, you go ask him. He's a man. He can speak for himself. Don't pull us into this. Let him answer for himself. And that's exactly what they're doing. Ask him. He is of age. He'll speak for himself. And then John, in 22, clarifies the point. His parents said this because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he would be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he is of age. Ask him. We're drawing a line how far we're going with this. We confirm it's our son. We confirm he was blind uh, at birth. The healing, we got no part of. Ask him. We weren't there. He can speak for himself. Now 24, so for the second time, they called the man who had been blind and said, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. So, so this is interesting. So now they're saying, they find out there's no flaw in the story from the parents. And they, they tell him exactly uh, the facts they know. And then in 24, they question the man again. Tell the truth. Give glory to God. We know this man is a sinner. And then I love this. And this is the line that most of us are familiar with. But it is, it, it is great theology. And that is what he says in 25. He answered, whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know. That though I was blind, now I see. That's a fact. I don't know his background. I don't know everything about him. Can anybody say amen to that? I don't know much. But I know this, I was blind and now I see. That's a fact. Can, can you say that about your life? I'm still learning about Jesus. I don't know all the, the depths of G Jesus. I, I need to know more about the Bible. My, my theology might be the theology of a child, which would serve you pretty well. But I do know this. I was blind and now I see. I was a sinner and now I'm saved. I, I, I was, I was, I was going to die and go to hell and now I'm not. 
I'm not drawn to the things that I once was. I can't explain to you how that happened. I'm just telling you it happened. And that's good enough for me. Now, the problem is, is if you can't see any indication of the supernatural power of Jesus Christ in your life. And what do we say about that? Well, if that's the case, that's not on Jesus. It's not because he has an inability to do it. It just hasn't happened. Because Jesus radically changes everything. And if you were blind, you encounter Jesus, you will now see. And they said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? Now, at this point, you're seeing this guy is done with answering this. He's been over this for what he considers to be. You ever done that? They'll tell you here at, at Rick and Bubba Incorporated. Uh, they'll even tell you that in the men's ministry. If I keep being asked about something over and over again, I will say, I'm going to explain this for what I consider to be the last time. Okay, everybody take notes. And I don't want to have to keep coming back answering the same question over and over again because I've, I've answered it. And he, now he's going to start trash talking with them a little bit, which shows you this guy's a little more savvy, like I said, than some of the other people that Jesus has encountered. So, so he says to them in 26, 27, and he's being sarcastic now. He answered them, I have told you already and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear this again? Do you also want to become his disciples? That's good. And, and there's nothing he could have said that could anger them more than that. Now he said, why do y'all keep asking me the same stuff? Are y'all starting to get interested in Jesus? Y'all want to be a follower of his as well? Is that what y'all want? Because I don't know why y'all keep asking me to explain this. You know what they're doing? And you ever, have, you ever, have you ever had this happen to yourself? Or have you ever been guilty of it? I have. You keep on asking the question because you want a different answer. Man, I, I, maybe if I ask you another way, you'll tell me something different that, other than what I don't want to hear. And um, in this case, he is saying that. So now he, he's done with it. So now he's starting to upset them a little bit. 28, and they reviled him. So he was successful. He was successful by saying that. Uh, and, and, and they reviled him saying, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. Let me be clear. And see, this is once again showing because of their pedigree, they are shouting the Jesus and Moses thing, as far as we see it, cannot be reconciled. You can't be a follower of Moses and be a follower of this Jesus. They don't get it. And so what they're saying is you may be one of his. Don't you dare say we are because we are the disciples of Moses. And then we get into 30 and 33. And you, you hear us say all the time, you've heard it said before, we say it a lot on the show. Common sense has now become a superpower. There was a time when common sense was common. It's not anymore. If you have common sense and you can be logical, it's like you're a superhero. Now, the world will frustrate you because you don't know why everybody else can't see these obvious things. So here comes this man with the, the gift of common sense. Here's what he says in 30 through 33, because they're very upset with him at this time. They, he, they just said that they are... Disciples of Moses, 29. We know that God has spoken to Moses. We know that. But as far as this man, we don't know where it comes from. And then the man answers in verse 30. Why? This is an amazing thing. Well, he's, you know what he's saying is, why, why are you so caught up in where he comes from? Why are, you, why are you not acknowledging what we're talking about right now is amazing? This, and then he goes on to, to talk about why it's an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from. But yet he opened my eyes. 
31. We know that God does not listen to sinners. But if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he couldn't do anything. He could do nothing. Gift of common sense. All right, let me break it down for you. We don't know where he came from, but here's what we know. We know that God cannot work through sinners. We know that. We also know, since the beginning of creation, unless y'all have heard something I've never heard, you know of anybody that's healed anybody that was born blind? Has that ever happened? Now, now keep in mind, there, there's, there's all kinds of prophecy about this, and, and, and I'll, I'll lay some of that out for you. In 34, they are so enraged, they answered, you were born in utter sin, and you're going to teach us? And they cast him out. Spiritual arrogance. Be careful you never have spiritual arrogance. I, I can tell you this. This happens so many times, and I, and I have it going on with some men in this, this Bible study right now. You know what some of the men in this Bible study right now, you know what their whole role in the men's ministry is? And it's powerful, and it is as important and more important than, than the person who's standing up here teaching. You know what their job is? To remind the rest of us about what God does. There's men in this Bible study that have just been radically saved by Jesus Christ and they're so excited about it and they can't stop talking about it and they're eager to advance the kingdom. They want to know what to do next. They want to know more. They want to know more. And it may be that most of you in this room know more than they do about the Bible, but I hope you haven't forgotten what they understand and that is that Jesus saves people. They ain't got to have deep theology to know Jesus changed my life. I'll eventually learn the rest of it. But right now, I know what a lot of people have forgotten. That Jesus gives you a new birth and a new life. I'm living it. Have you forgotten what that was like? Have you become so lackadaisical with your faith? Has it become so, so routine to you now that you forgot? And think about this. They were so enraged about saying, how dare this man try to teach us. We know so much more about God than you do. He says, he doesn't, you can tell he doesn't know what the prophet, what Isaiah says. He, they don't, he doesn't know the prophecy, but he himself has figured out. Do y'all know anybody that's ever healed a blind man in the history of the world? Well, if you have, write these down. Isaiah 29, 18. Isaiah 29, 18. Let me tell you what Isaiah said about, about the coming Messiah. And, uh, and, and there's, a, there's a number of places that Isaiah touches on this, but we'll start in 29. When I was reading this, it, it's exciting you because what's happened is these, these Pharisees are so mad that they have forgotten the very prophecy that they claim to him that they know better than he does. Isn't that interesting? 29, 18, the prophet Isaiah, listen to this. In, the, in that day, the deaf shall hear, I just read you that out of the Gospel of Mark, the words of a book, and out of their gloom and darkness, the eyes of the blind shall see. Well, well, shouldn't the Pharisees know that? How are they missing this sign? It's one of the signs they're supposed to be looking for. But they missed it, and they're telling the guy who is trying to bring it up in his own way, hey, do y'all know anybody else that's healed anybody who was born blind? Now, he's not, he didn't say, remember what Isaiah said. Because he probably can't remember that or he never learned it. But he himself knows. But the minute he says that, why does the Pharisee not go, wait a minute. Wait a minute. The prophet Isaiah. Wait a minute. 
So let's look at 35. Look at 35.5 in, in Isaiah. 35.5. The eyes of the blind shall be open, and the ears of the deaf unstopped, and shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the moot sing for joy. All that's happening. Jesus is doing every bit of it. Why, why are they not saying, you know, Isaiah said, look for this. But here's a man trying to be used by God to make them remember. I think God's being gracious right here. I think God is trying to get the Pharisees to go, wait a minute. Wait a minute. He's got a point here. Didn't Isaiah say something about this? Look at Isaiah 42.7. To open the eyes that are blind to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon. I will give you a covenant, you as a covenant for the people a light for the nations, that's in six. And then seven, to open the eyes of the blind. Hey, hey, Pharisees, that's what's happening. You're supposed to know all this. But this guy's not going to teach them anything. And they threw him out. They, forget, they became so enraged, they forgot the prophecy of the Masonic age. They forget the very thing that they are supposed to be. They're telling him he doesn't understand. Mm. Verse 35, may we never become like that. Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And having found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? Mm. If that doesn't touch you. So Jesus heard they'd thrown him out. And he went and found him. This guy couldn't find Jesus. He didn't come looking for him. Jesus went and found him. I heard they threw you out. I can relate to that. Hey, Rick, I heard they threw you out. Do you believe in me? You want to be saved? I heard everybody's throwing you out. I heard your parents are done with you. They're embarrassed by you. I heard that you've made a mockery of God's holiness of matrimony. I heard that people's wives won't let their husbands hang out with you anymore. I heard that your reputation has really been destroyed. I heard that people think you act like an idiot. That's what I heard. You want to be saved? Yeah. Psalms 2710. Write that down. Though my father and mother or for that matter, the religious authorities forsake me, the Lord will receive me. Think about that. Though my mother and father, and then I added, for that matter, the religious authorities for this guy, forsake me, the Lord will receive me. Psalms 2710. Hey, the Lord didn't reject anybody that wants to be redeemed. He, he, he takes the repentant, you repent, I'm, I'm in, I forgive you. The Pharisees here rejected the light. They rejected the light. But this healed blind man, he's open to it. The religious leaders rejected it. The healed man says, I'm open to it. Jesus found him. He doesn't know much about Jesus, but he is brought to a decisive and knowledgeable faith when people oppose us due to our belief in Jesus, stand firm, be courageous. You may, you may be excommunicated. And listen to this. A lot of times when you're committed to Jesus, 
and people excommunicate you? Think about this man. Are you ready for this? This is fantastic. You know why they excommunicated him for saying, I want to be devoted to Jesus? Because of their blindness. <clears throat> He's not blind anymore, but they are. It's their blindness about Jesus. And here he was formerly blind, and now he sees. I love when he says, do you believe? He's, he's making it clear, too. He's not saying, do you believe that I exist? You know I exist. What I'm asking you, are you ready to place your trust in me? Why is he using this time son of man instead of son of God? It's interesting, you know, this, John uses this a lot. He answers, and who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? So what he says, you, you clarify who the Son of Man is. Is it you? Because I'm ready. I'm ready to trust you and I'm ready to believe you. You have seen him and it is he who is speaking to you. And don't miss the next thing he says, 38. Look at 38, first word. He said... Say it with me. Lord. Lord, I believe. Lord, I believe. Not Jesus, I believe. Not, hey, man, who does a lot of things, I believe. Lord. Romans 10, 9 and 10. If you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, and you believe that his Father raised him from the dead on the third day, you will be saved because it is with the heart that someone believes and it is with the mouth that someone confesses what they believe. Lord, not guy, whoever you are, Lord, I believe. Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. Son of man, Jesus is inviting the man to put his trust in the one who is the revelation of God to man. Jesus is the word incarnate, the one who uniquely reveals God. I am the son of God, but because I've come here and taken on flesh, I'm now meeting you as the son of man. I'm here. I'm God coming to man. I'm ready to redeem mankind. You believe? Yes, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. Don't miss that he worshiped him. When did he worship him? Later? Immediately. Immediately. Who is he, sir? I love that. You know what I love about 37 and 38? Mm. The man now is truly healed. You know, he could have just been a guy who can see now that's going straight to hell. That's not truly healed. There's a lot of people that may not give credit to God for something physical that has been taken back that may give credit where it shouldn't go. There's a lot of extremely healthy people that are going straight to hell. They have not been ultimately healed. I remember my aunt who's a missionary when her husband who had cancer and everybody was praying for him to be healed and he died and someone said to her, God did not hear your prayer. She said, on the contrary. My husband is fully healed because Jesus redeemed my husband and my husband is sick no more. My husband has been ultimately healed. 
ultimately healed. So Jesus found him also in a private place, no in a public place. Saving some always results in condemning others. To be in grace, he must also give offense. Grace must always uncover sin. Look at 39. This is why he says this. For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and that those who see may become blind. See, as Jesus comes to save, those who reject him are condemned. There's no saving without others being condemned because people reject Jesus. Remember we said about Romans chapter 8, therefore there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, which means there is condemnation for those who aren't. So he said, I came for, for judgment I came into this world. I'm, I'm coming for those of you that cannot see, that you may have seen, that God's judgment won't come down on you. But for those who claim you already know and you reject me, then you're going to become blind. And he clarifies this because of the, um, he came to help the spiritual blind. He's saying that obviously. And those who think they don't need to be healed of spiritual blindness, then they become blind. Look what he says in 40 and 41, and we'll end today. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things, meaning it was in public, and said to him, see, this is the thing. The Bible is full of people who reject. They reject any attempt to hold them accountable. There was a moment here the Pharisees could have said, you know what, now that we've heard this right here, we realize that we missed it. We're spiritually blind. You've made a great point. We repent. But see, a scoffer doesn't do that. You try to hold a scoffer accountable, what does the proverb say? He'll hate you for it. A fool will hate you for it. But those who want to be saved will love you for it. The humble, they'll love you for it. And so what they do with this scene is they say, how dare you call us blind, arrogant, a scoffer? Are we also blind? Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now you say we see, so your guilt remains. You know what Jesus is saying? If you didn't know any better and were seeking redemption, you'd have it. But your claim of no need of redemption keeps you guilty. If you, if, you needed, if you admitted you need redemption, you'd have it. But the fact you claim that you are in no need of redemption, you don't get it. Your protest of your innocence, this is good and we'll close with this. Your protest of your innocence makes you guilty. Hey, be sure that you don't continue to protest your innocence in front of a holy God. The longer you protest and the longer you say it ain't no big deal and the longer you continue to say, I'm not going to deal with this. Why, why is this a big deal? Hey, look, it doesn't really matter what I'm doing. Hey, Lord, don't be. What are you to, who are you to say that I, you know, I, who are you? You got some guy that God sends over there to you and says, hey, I want to talk to you about the way that you're living. Who are you to tell me? Jesus said, if you just say you were guilty, I'd make you innocent. But the fact that you say you're innocent, you remain guilty. Let's pray.
Lord, thank you for today. Thank you, Lord, for this very convicting message. May we see ourselves in the position of the blind man, not the position of the Pharisees. Lord, I pray as we go through this time of remembering you coming to us when we couldn't come to you, that we remember that the first people you revealed yourself to were the lowest of the low, the shepherds. Nobody in that time would ever want their child to grow up to be a shepherd. There was nothing redeemable about shepherds, yet you brought the good news to them first. And all of us are in dire need of a Savior. All of us are equal in our need of redemption at the foot of the cross. Lord, we say to you that we are guilty. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to be made innocent by you coming to save us when we couldn't save ourselves. May we take this message and apply it to ourselves as we now go and, and take some time away from our normal routine. But may that not be an excuse to now make ourselves busy with things that don't matter. That we find time to be sure this is a time of worship and gratitude for you, the hero of the world. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. 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 Y'all have a Merry Christmas, guys. Hey, this is Rick, and that concludes this week's Bible study. Thank you so much for being with us. If you'd like to go back and hear other Bible studies, or maybe some that you've missed even in this series, you can find them by clicking the media button at BurgessMinistries.com.